Amen, amen. Uh, my name is Clint DeBoer, and I get the privilege of reading God's Word with you this morning. Uh, this morning it is from Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Thank you, Clint. Well, good morning again to everybody. Are y'all having fun worshiping together this morning? Uh, I know I am. It's always great to uh, gather together and to uh, just think about all the things that God has done for us, all the ways that he's been active in our lives. Uh, I've enjoyed that this morning, sitting, just reading through uh, all the scriptures and singing the songs. Uh, And I hope that uh, the next few minutes will also be that for you as we uh, take a look at another piece of God's Word from Jeremiah 9. Uh, Last week, if if you've been with us, you know this, we we wrapped up a series on the Christmas story from Luke 1 and 2 last week. If you missed any of those weeks, they are all on our website, greaterhopemulberry.org. You can always go on and listen to whatever you miss. Next week, we're going to start an exciting series on the book of Romans. Uh, which is one of the the greatest, I think, letters in the New Testament, uh, written by a man named Paul, all about the gospel. But this week I wanted to kind of orient us, get us set up for the new year, uh, thinking from Jeremiah 9 about uh, how God can work in our lives to change us. Uh, This is New Year's Eve. Uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day have always been one of my favorite holidays, not so much because of what we do on those days, but because we get to think about how we can change in the new year. I, I like that. Do you, do you guys like that? Uh, just spending a day like today, going back over our past year, thinking to the future year, what are some habits I want to drop? What are some good habits I want to pick up? Do I, do I want to be a different person this time next year than I am today? It's just exciting to me. Uh, we make New Year's resolutions, and usually I make it to, you know, maybe midway through January with those. Uh, really strong, you know, and then they start to fade away. Well, interestingly, you know, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, probably you understand the value of life change. You could probably identify right now four or five ways that you would want to change if you could. Isn't that right? And, and interestingly enough, the Bible also talks over and over again about change. In fact, One of the ways you can understand the whole message of the Bible is it's all about how our lives can change, how God enters into our lives and rearranges them totally from the inside out. And right there, I think, whether you're a Christian or not, I want you to see this. The Bible's kind of change is so very different than the New Year's resolutions that I make or that you make. Those resolutions are are normally self-improvement, you know, ways that I'm going to improve myself by modifying a few of my behaviors, behavior modification. And some people think about Christianity and religion that way. It's just behavior modification by self-improvement. But that's not it at all. The Bible actually shows us a way of change that really changes our hearts, the inside of us. Not just our outside behaviors, but our very heart can change. 
But it doesn't change by self-improvement and us resolving to be better people and really gritting our teeth and doing better until midway through January and then giving up. This has to do with God himself invading our lives, us truly and personally knowing God in a deep and intimate way. Now that right there, that right there I want you to see is what really the whole Bible is about. The living God who made everything, who made me and you, made us and wants to have a deep and intimate relationship with us, and that alone can make true and lasting change in our life. Jeremiah in chapter 9, Jeremiah was a prophet uh, several hundred years before Christ, and here in this passage, he is addressing the nation of Israel at their lowest time as a nation. There was no time lower than this time. It was the time of what's called the exile. The exile means Israel had done so poorly They had sinned so much that God had been fed up and he said, I'm going to kick you out of the land that I gave you. I'm going to evict you from the land of promise that I had given you as my own special gift so that you would know, this is the key point, so that you would know that life your way has not worked and will not work. You, nation of Israel, are desperate for a change. And isn't it amazing in these verses, if you look at it, what Jeremiah says that change is, comes from, the engine of that change is that people would actually learn how to boast in knowing God and to boast only in that. That's what, that's what the whole Bible's about. That's what we want to be about as a church. Greater Hope Church exists to help people follow Christ in all of life for the sake of the gospel. What does that mean? That means we want to know God personally. We want to help you know God personally. We want to help every single person that we come in contact with in the Mulberry area to know God personally and to experience the life change that only he can bring through that relationship. And so this morning, I want to give you a few things to think about going into the new year, both individually and us together as a church. Um, There are three things. You can look into your worship folder today. Three things that Jeremiah teaches us about knowing God. The first one has to do with the meaning of knowing God. What does it mean to have a relationship with him? The second one has to do with the test of knowing God. How do you know that you know God? Uh, What is a genuine relationship? And, And the third one has to do with the way of knowing God. How do I become a person who knows God in my life, who follows Jesus in all of life for the sake of the gospel? So let's look first at what it means to know God. Uh, To help us understand this, Jeremiah gets right to the very heart issue of what we boast in. Did you notice that in the passage? Several times he brings up this idea of boasting. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Don't let the rich man boast in his riches. But him who boasts, let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me. What's he driving at? He's trying to get us to ask the question, what do you boast in? Your boast as a person is whatever you treasure and value so much that that's the thing that gets you ready to face life. That's what a boast is. Whatever you treasure and value so much above anything else that gets you ready to face life. Uh, Somebody pointed out to me one time that throughout the Bible where it talks about boasting, and it actually talks about it a lot, oftentimes it has to do with what's going on on the battlefield. So an army getting ready to rush. If you think about it, ancient warfare was crazy. You know, one army lined up on one side, one on the other, and they were supposed to just run at each other, (laughs) swinging an axe or swinging swords or slinging arrows. Now, who's ready to sign up for that? Anybody in here excited about that prospect? Nobody, right? And same thing back then. Nobody was ready. How do you solve that problem? 
This person pointed out to me throughout the Bible that the way you solve that problem is by making a boast. So the king comes out and the king says, let's get ready to fight. We're better than those guys. Let's get ready to fight for, for home and, and land and country and our families. Let's, let's get out there and get it done. We can do this. We can win. Just like a coach at halftime or, or at pregame, getting the team ready. And that boast would fill people with, with a sense of pride in something, whether it was family or nation or whatever. And that would give them the courage, maybe even a little bit of craziness that they needed to run at that other side, even if it meant that it would cost them their life. That's what you boast in. And in a certain way, I think this is true. Everybody, whether, you, whether you're a Christian or not, no matter where you, what background you come from, everybody boasts in something. Because life, isn't it, isn't so much different than lining up for battle every day. There, there's many things every day, every week, every month, every year that, that we're called upon by life to face that ordinarily we wouldn't want to face, ordinarily we wouldn't be able to face. And so all of us are having to grasp for something that we value that makes us feel secure, that makes us feel significant and ready to go. What is that for you? Uh, a great way to get at what that is for you is to think about just a few things. For example, what do you post on Facebook and Instagram that you know everybody is going to like it and applaud you and praise you and it's going to make your bad day turn into a good day? Y'all know you do it, right? Is it your family? Is it your relationship with your spouse? Is it your achievements at work? Whatever it is, there's something there that you're posting because you know it's going to give you the approval of the masses or whatever, the, whatever your friend following is, and that's going to boost you to get you ready for the day. Another way to think about it is what gives you security? What gives you the ability to rest, knowing, rest easy, knowing that life's going to be okay, having that thing? Or to think about it negatively, uh, if you, even thinking about losing that something fills you with fear, it makes you lose it. It fills you with terror, it fills you with despair, it fills you maybe even with anger or envy at people who have more of it than you. Whatever that it is, more than likely that thing's your boast. Jeremiah gives us a little bit of a guide to help us understand because he points out the top three that human beings boast in. And this is as true today as it was, you know, 2,500 years ago when this was written. He says, first, the wise man boasts in his wisdom. The mighty man boasts in his might. The rich man boasts in his riches. Those are the top three. Might or power, riches or wisdom or knowledge or your ability to figure things out. And probably everybody in the room can relate to one of those three things, maybe two of them, maybe even all three of them. As things either that you have and you boast in it, or you don't have it, but you're spending all your life gritting your teeth, wanting to get more of it because you believe if you did have it, that would be what secured you. Now, what's the big deal about all that? You know, why is it that Jeremiah comes out and says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom? What's wrong with that? I mean, isn't wisdom and you know, isn't might and isn't riches, aren't those all gifts from God anyway? What's so bad in boasting in them? Because they are what the Bible calls, when we boast in them, they are what the Bible calls an idol. An idol is something that you're using to replace God, to function in your life in a way that really only God was designed to function. When we boast in anything, a created thing, what we're doing is we're expecting that created thing to give us the security, the, the sense of significance and worth and purpose in our life that, that really only a creator, only a connection with God can give. That's why Jeremiah says, don't boast in those things. Stop boasting there. 
And I want you to learn, to get true change in your life, you have to, get, you have to learn how to boast only in the Lord. Smash your idols and put God back in the place that God alone deserves. And that right there, that is the window in to what it really means to know God. To know God, to really know him, is to know him so deeply and personally that you have come to treasure him more than anything else. To know him so deeply and personally that that he becomes, he alone becomes that thing that gets you ready to face life who he is for you, the things he has done in your life, his presence with you, that alone is what gives you that sense of of courage and, and significance every day. All those other things, the wisdom, the riches, the power, whatever it is that you you seek, those things have begun to, to be dethroned in your life. That's how you know you really know God. It's a deep, it's a personal, it's a very intimate way of knowing. It's an amazing thing, really, if you stop to think about it, that the God who made everything wants us to know him in that way wants us to be so deeply at one and intimate face-to-face with him, following him around, sharing our lives with him in such a way that he would become our treasure. Now, why do I say that? Well, think about all the relationships in your life. I mean, all of us have many different levels of relationships and acquaintances. I think there are basically three levels. On the outside ring, you have your acquaintances. These are people that if you passed them on the street, you'd wave. If you saw them post something on Facebook, you'd like it right? You would ask them how they were doing if you were standing in line with them somewhere at a store. That's an acquaintance. Uh, The the next level are are your friends. You know, those are the people that you would call if you had some trouble. Come help me with this. Or they would call you and, and both of you are reasonably sure that person would respond if you called them and needed help. That's a friend. Then in the inner circle, this is what God is saying he wants with us. That's those who are intimate with you. That's your spouse, that's your family, that's maybe just a few close friends. And when you think about it in life, it's only that middle circle, it's only that intimate set of relationships that you truly treasure, isn't that right? Uh, If the acquaintance doesn't talk to you for five months, not a big deal, right? No harm done, no harm, no foul. You know, if even the friend doesn't respond to you when you text them and ask for help, it might hurt a little bit, but you're gonna get over it. If you lose an intimate, If you lose someone in that inner circle, it could actually devastate your life. It could turn your life completely upside down. What does that show? It shows you treasure them. It shows you boast in them. And God is saying, here's what I'm doing. I am offering myself to you as the one that you would boast in, as your nearest and dearest. I mean, er earlier in the service at the call to worship, we read how Jesus walked out and he, he found this tax collector named Levi. And he didn't say to him, hey Levi, Read this book about me, and I'm going to give you a test later. (laughs) He didn't say to Levi, hey, I've been thinking about your life, and here's a list of behaviors I'd like for you to modify, and and I'll check in next year with you. What did he say to Levi? Follow me. Come around me. Share your life with me. Put everything in my hands. Everywhere I go, you go. Everywhere you go, I go. That's the kind of relationship God wants with us. The one where, as the Bible says, we taste and see personally that God is good. Not just behavior modification, not just information mastery, knowing lots of things about God, but really knowing God in a relationship of deep discipleship, where you're like an apprentice moving into God's house, learning from everything God does. That kind of relationship smashes the idols 
and puts God right back in the place where you can boast in him and treasure him and trust him. That's the meaning of knowing God. Amazingly, that's what God is offering. The second thing, though, is the test of knowing God. Jeremiah helps us test whether or not we know God. And this is very challenging. I'll I'll warn you, just a disclaimer. This is very challenging to me, and I hope that it's challenging to you. You see, there's, there's lots of people that claim to know God. I mean, almost everybody that I talk to, no matter what they're going through in life or where they're at in their journey of life, probably if I asked them, hey, do you have a relationship with God? They would probably assume the answer is yes. Almost everybody assumes that. But what Jeremiah is going to go to say in uh, verse 24 there in the passage is that there is a real way to test whether or not that claim is empty or whether that claim really has substance. Because essentially what he's going to say is that God is so great, God is so good, there is absolutely no way that you and I can claim to know him if our life is unchanged by that relationship. If there's absolutely no change in our heart and our life, then our claim is an empty claim. Think about it this way. Uh, Over the past several years, there have been numerous attempts to jump the fence at the White House and to enter in. Have you all read those stories? Uh, Going all the way back into the last administration, there were several. And then in the current administration, there's also been a few. Um, Even one in the last administration, the person jumped the fence and got all the way into the president's residence in the White House and was walking around before he was caught. It's amazing. Now, imagine that scenario. The person jumps the fence, they go in the White House, the F, or not the FBI, but the, the uh, what is it called? Secret Service, right? <laughs> Finally finds that guy or that woman. And they say, what are you doing here? And the person says, hold on, I know the president. I have a personal relationship with the president. It's all good, I know him. Are they going to believe that man or that woman? <laughs> What's going to be the first question they ask? Well, if you know the president, man, why did you jump the fence? Why are you currently hiding? <laughs> Why, when we called your name, were you running away? And why is there a knife hidden in your jacket or something like that, right? I mean, they're going to have tons of questions. Why? If you really knew the president, if you knew someone that great, that important, and that good, you would have already been invited. You probably would have already been at the table. You certainly wouldn't have had to jump the fence. You would have had a personal escort. I mean, we all understand to know an important person To know a good person means that your life in some way changes and certain patterns of behavior are just not consistent with that knowledge and with that relationship. And Jeremiah is telling us that. He says in verse 24, let the one who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, catch this, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. And here's the challenge. Those who really know God, here's the test, you are learning to love what God loves, to delight in what God delights in, and to do what God does. Those who know God really, there's no way you can really claim it without coming to love what he loves and coming to do what he does. And notice what it says he loves and does. He both delights in these things, it says, and he practices them in the earth. Justice, righteousness, and steadfast love. Those aren't easy things. Those things do not come naturally. What those things are is a commitment to the good of the other. A commitment to the good of the other. Steadfast love, that's committed love that says, I am ride or die. I am with you no matter what. I am sticking with you. God does that. He loves that. 
Justice is God taking care of people that even the world forgets, the vulnerable, the poor, and the weak. Righteousness is God treating everyone exactly as they deserve to be treated. Righteousness is God dealing with everyone with exact fairness. God loves to do these things. He does them all the time. He delights in them, and he expects them from his people. And here again also is a great window into how unique God is. I mean, most religions that were made up throughout history, when they conceived of a God who was powerful and who created everything, what did they assume that God loved and practiced in the earth? What would you think? They were stretched out. Somebody was fanning them, feeding them grapes. They were commanding people around. It was all about them. That's the way most of the time people have imagined God would be. And so you look at the stories of Zeus and all that. That's what they're doing. It's all about me. Serve myself. But notice how different the real God is. The real God loves and practices selflessness. Giving himself away. I mean, the proof of that is Jesus himself. We believe Jesus is God who became a human being, just like we talked about through the Christmas series. And when he came into the world, he said, I came not to be served, but what? I came to serve. And in a way, that is gloriously what God has always been doing. This is a deep thought, but an important one. The creation of the world, why did God do it? Was it because God lacked something that did he need us around to, to meet his needs or to serve himself? No, of course not. God has everything he needs within himself. There's nothing God lacks that you and I can give him. So why did he create? Because he had so much joy and satisfaction. He had so much love that he, it just had to burst out. He had to express it. He had to share it. He had to give it away. And so he fills the world with people like you and me just to enjoy the sharing and giving nature of his heart. That's amazing. And what this is saying is that anyone who comes to know him is going to catch a vision for that. That's going to become the drive of my heart. I'm going to love steadfast love and justice and righteousness. I'm going to become less selfish. I'm going to become somebody who's less excited about being served and more excited about serving. And, and that's, that has challenged me, not just this week, but the past two years, really, I've been thinking about this theme. And if there's one thing I'd, I'd write down for 2018, what do I want God to do in my heart? Lord, make me more like you in this way more willing to give, more willing to move towards those in need in every area of my life. You see, it's too easy and simple to say, here's what it means to know God. I read the Bible, I pray, I go to church, and occasionally I tell people about it. <laughs> but isn't that often what we think? We think that's the test. But honestly, you can do all those things and not know God at all. Here's what you can't do if you don't know God. You cannot get out of your selfishness. If you really don't know God, there's no way I can stop going towards idols. There's no way I can stop serving myself. It's like I'm a moth to the flame. And so the real test is when God begins to break open my heart. I go home or you go home and I'm thinking of my family, not in terms of what can they do for me, but how can I serve them? I'm going to work not thinking about my career advancement raising my paycheck, and you're not thinking about that, but suddenly we're thinking, what can I do that's constructive and helpful to people around me? I'm not thinking about, you know, what is the American dream kind of, you know, to isolate myself from everybody who's different than me or who has needs. 
and to hold myself up so I never have to bump into people who need me, which is essentially what we all strive for, but that's, that's not what God does. And so radically, those who know God begin to move towards people who have need. If you don't believe me, later in Jeremiah 22, God says this, Is not this what it means to know me, he says, to judge the cause of the poor and needy? Is that not what it means to know me? In James 1, if you think that's, well, that's just an Old Testament thing, in the New Testament, if anyone is religious and does not bridle his tongue, his religious, religion is worthless. But this is pure and undefiled religion before God the Father, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In other words, the family business is to care for those in need. And if you're going to claim to be in the family, you've got to join the family business. Uh, this past week, I watched a couple of the uh, uh, Godfather movies. I know, you, you may not like those movies, but I think they're classics. I don't know why, though, they're considered Christmas movies. <laughs> but they're on every Christmas, and I, I watched a couple of them. And that family has a family business, right? The Corleone family. It's the opposite of God's family business. Their family business is to take, to get. God's is opposite. But there's something like God in his family in that show, and, and that is... If you claim to be in the family, but you want to work against the family business, or you don't want to join it, what do they do? Nope, you can't be a part of the family. You're not really a Corleone. They may even shoot you and bury you, and no one would know, right? (laughs) God doesn't do that, but here's what he does. He draws a line in the sand. He says, if you want to be with me, you have to follow me in all of your life. You have to care about the things that I care about, the people that I care about, and you have to move towards them in love. That's the test. That's challenging, isn't it? told you it was. I warned you. The third thing, though, this is a beautiful thing. It's the way to knowing God. There's a hope given here by Jeremiah, which is just brilliant, because as I fall under the weight of all that, I've got to learn how to, you know, God's making me unselfish, and oh, I look at my heart and how selfish I remain, how selfish I still am. I realize I cannot know God simply through self-help or self-improvement or behavior modification. But thankfully, what Jeremiah says in verses 25 and 26 is a window into how God is saying, I've come into the world to do the ultimate open heart surgery spiritually on you so that you're qualified to know me and so that you have the ability to know me. Why do I say that? Because Jeremiah brings up the topic of circumcision. That's surprising, right? That's a surprising topic to bring up in the Bible or in church. But it has a long history. Circumcision was given to one of the first people in the Bible who really knew God. That that man's name was Abraham. He's very early in the Bible. And when God made a relationship with Abraham, he says, hey, I'm going to give you a sign of my relationship. And it's to be circumcised, you and all of your children. And here's what that sign means. It shows not only that you have a relationship with me, but it shows how. Because if you think about it, not to get into too many of the details... But circumcision is a removal of something, right? Something is in me that has to be taken away if I'm going to know God. Not only that, but it it makes me, in a sense, a new person. I'm never the same again. I'm marked forever. I'm a completely different person. And God was saying to Abraham, not only am I calling you to know me, but I'm going to provide for you the way to know me by opening up your heart and taking out that thing that keeps you from me, your sin and your idolatry, And I'm going to mark you and make you a new person from this day forward. You're never going to be the same again, Abraham. 
And so here Jeremiah is saying, look, it's not enough just simply to be circumcised physically. Because the reason God gave it physically was to show you something that he wanted to do in your life spiritually. And so in verse 26 it says, all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. The implication is, oh, you should long to be circumcised in heart. You should long for God to do this surgery that he alone performs. And here's the glorious thing. The New Testament will go on to say that Jesus himself, by his death on the cross and by his resurrection, circumcises in heart everybody who believes. In Colossians chapter 2, it says it. We have been circumcised in Christ. Not the circumcision made with hands, not physical, but the circumcision of the heart through his death and through his resurrection. He solves our two big problems. Why can't I know God? Why can't you know God? Because our idolatry has made us dirty. And Jesus on the cross took our dirt and it said that he nailed it to the tree so that it would never be counted against us again. So that you and I could be brought into God's family and accepted by him. But we have another problem. That's the problem of our corruption. Like a moth to the flame, like a dog to the vomit, I go back to my idols. I go back to my selfishness. I need to be marked and changed as, to become a new person. And the Bible says, for everyone who truly believes in Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, your old self, your idolatry, drunk self, died with him forever. And when Jesus rose out of the grave, he came out of the tomb, out came the new you. The new you in Christ. The you that has every power of his behind you, supporting you, driving you forward, transforming you, making you less selfish, teaching you to love what God loves and to, to practice what God practices. And those two things, his death and his resurrection, marks me, gives me that open heart surgery so that every day of my life when I wake up, what defines me doesn't have to be my circumstances, good or bad. It doesn't have to be my sins, whether past or present or even future. It doesn't have to be my weaknesses. It doesn't have to be my fears. None of those things have to define me. What can define me now? Who am I in Jesus? What has Jesus done for me? How has he loved me? Oh, how he's chosen me and, and poured his love on me, not because I deserved it or because I earned it, but simply because he's good. And oh, if he's done that, if he's died for me and if he's given me new life, how could I possibly think that he's going to keep back from me any good thing that I need? And so in my journey of life, that's what I boast in. That becomes my boast. It becomes what fills my heart with joy and gives me the courage to face life and to do whatever it is God is calling me to do. And that's the same with our church corporately. The way that we're going to get done our vision and our mission here in Mulberry over the long haul is not going to be through our strength, our wisdom, our riches, our whatever we happen to have or, or not have. It's going to come by people whose lives are on fire because they know they've been given the open heart surgery that Jesus came to bring. With eyes to see, the thousands of people in our area who have not had that open heart surgery yet, but who this very day need it more than anything else, even if they don't know it. And so there's the call. There's what it means to know God. We can see how it is that we test whether we know God. And of course, we can see how it is that we we really can get to know God. 
What you and I need to do is fill our heart. I mean, if you've wrote down a resolution for 2018, here's what I suggest. <laughs> if you had any resolution, every day when you wake up, remind yourself who you are in Christ. Remind yourself how much he loves you. Remind yourself how much he's done for you, not because you deserved it. This is not a how great am I speech. This is a oh, how unworthy I am speech, but how great he is speech. <laughs> that you ought to be giving yourself every day to fill your heart. And that alone is going to break the, un- the, break the selfishness. It's a little bit like this, and I, I tell this, this example a lot, uh, but it, it really helps me. When you go to the grocery store and you're hungry, how does that go? <laughs> I, I know for me, when I go hungry, and sometimes I'm like hangry when I go to the grocery store, like so hungry I'm angry, like the commercial says. I'm making all the bad decisions, right? I'm not thinking about what's good for my family or me. I'm just throwing the little Debbies in, right? The ice cream sandwiches, whatever catches my fancy in that moment, right? I'm throwing it in. But when you eat a good meal before you go, when you're satisfied, when you're full, then you can be smart, wise, less selfish. You can care about those in your life and make good decisions with your money and with your nutrition and et cetera, right? Same thing in my everyday life. If that resolution's true, if I begin knowing how full I am in Christ rather than how empty I am in myself, I can go out in life not obsessed with myself anymore, but caring about you and caring about my neighbor. Let's pray that God would do that in our heart this year. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you so much um, for what you've done in our lives, Lord, that first of all, just the offer to know you is astonishing. Lord, who are we? Lord, just a a lowly, humble bunch of people trying to see a a church planted here in our our city, not with very much to offer you, in fact, with nothing to offer you, and not really anything to offer anybody else either. Oh, but Lord, what you have given us is a treasure beyond compare by, by drawing us in and doing this surgery so that we can know you. And I pray that you would do that in our hearts, that 2018 would be a year not defined by who we are, whether individually or whether as a church, but it would be a year defined by who you are and what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, send your spirit to be our constant companion and friend, even as he was your constant companion and friend, so that we can remember this every day and grow from strength to strength. Lord, I pray it in Jesus' name, amen and amen.